following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. So uh, last week we started talking about God's will. And uh, if, you, if you were here and if you remember that, we looked at the, the three wills of God. And we talked about God's decreed will. Uh, that is what God's laid down, his plans that can't be altered or changed. Uh, especially those things God has decreed to do with the life and the death and the resurrection and the future return of Jesus. So God's decreed will is heading towards the day when God will bring everything under unity, into unity, under the feet of Jesus, where God will bring everything under the loving rule of Christ. That's his decreed will. That's where history is heading. That's God's sovereign control over everything. And then we talked about God's permissive will. So within God's sovereignty, within his overall decreed will, God doesn't micromanage every part of our lives. He doesn't micromanage every part of the universe. He gives us some freedom. He gives us some responsibility. He enables us to make choices. He enables us to cause things to happen. And that is God's permissive will. So God allows things to happen that he doesn't directly cause to happen. Uh, This explains the presence of evil and suffering in the world. Things go wrong. It's not that God causes those things to happen, but they still all fall, generally speaking, within God's permissive will. He permits everything. Everything that happens falls within God's permissive will. And then you have God's beneficial will. God's beneficial will is what is good for us, what is best for us. That is God's desire for our life. God's desire that we would live a life orientated towards Him, orientated towards other people, not just ourselves. A life where we are growing in love for God and growing in love for other people. That's God's beneficial will for us. He wants us to live within His beneficial will. And if you are doing that, if you are growing in love for God, if you are directing your life toward Him, if you're seeking to honor Him and be faithful to Him and glorify Him in your life and in your decision making, you are within the will of God. You're living within the beneficial will of God. But what I want to do this morning now is bring all this down to a more personal level, bring it all down to a more practical level, and ask what does all this mean when we are standing at a crossroads in life? When you've got a big life decision to make, when you've got some steps to take and the path ahead is not particularly clear, you've got a big decision that's confronting you, maybe it's, it's should I marry this person or not? Should I change career or not? Should I move to the city or not? Should I immigrate to that country or not? Should I make this major financial purchase or not? These are major decisions, and we don't always see these things with as much clarity as we would like to have, but how does this fall within the will of God? Because God's beneficial will for our lives is still very broad. I mean, God's beneficial will calls us to live in a way where we are glorifying God in our lives. We're living in a way that is directed toward God, directed towards other people. But there's still a lot of latitude within that. There's still a lot of freedom within that. So if you're you're deciding whether to change career or not, either way you go may not affect your ability to honor God, glorify Him, serve God, serve other people, unless you are choosing a career in crime, and then it will. Then God's beneficial will kicks in. And that's not particularly compatible with a God-directed life. But a lot of the time, a lot of the choices we make could go either way. And God would still be honored. God would still be glorified. You could still serve Him. You can still serve other people. So how do we make these choices? How do we navigate times in life where the way is just not that clear? And to, to, to get at the subject, I want to shift the question a little bit this morning. I want to shift the question away from what is God's will for my life? Because I think 
That question's got a place, but it's not the most helpful question to ask a lot of the time. Sometimes that can be a very binding question. What is God's will for my life? And we get riddled with anxiety about whether we know exactly what God's will and God's plan is for our life. I want to shift to a different question, which is how can I make a wise decision? Living within the beneficial will of God, what does it mean to make a wise decision? Decision. This is what God calls us to, is to live in the way of wisdom. You may not always know exactly, specifically the way to go, but what God calls us to do is think through and work through. What, is it, what would it mean in this context to make a wise decision? And wisdom focuses us both on our need, our dependence on God, because we're talking about God-centered wisdom, not just our own version of it. But it also reminds us we've got things to do. We've got steps to take. It's not just about staying in a stuck place and doing nothing. We, we, we have to work through what, what does wisdom look like in the practical realities of the situation I'm facing. So that's the question I want to address. What does it mean to make a wise decision? How do we navigate these things in our lives in, in the way of wisdom? And to get into this, we're going to look at a passage in the book of Proverbs, the book of wisdom. So crack open the Bibles, uh, start up the Bible app on your uh, smartphone, or your tablet, and we're going to get into Proverbs. Proverbs is the book of wisdom. It's part of the wisdom literature in the Bible, along with Job and Ecclesiastes. Those three form the wisdom literature in the Bible. Most people believe that Proverbs was written by Solomon, King Solomon, the, the wisest of all the kings. And, and you remember Solomon asked for wisdom, asked God for wisdom, and God bestowed on him a huge measure of wisdom, abundant wisdom. And uh, Solomon has captured a lot of that wisdom in this book of Proverbs. Um, Proverbs gives us wisdom for all of life, every part of life, every season of life, every facet of life. But I want to look at this particularly in terms of decision making and finding our way forward uh, in, in, in crossroads, in the crossroads of life. So Proverbs chapter 3, just a couple of verses, short little passage today. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. It's a great couple of verses to memorize. If you're into Bible memorization, uh, which is really worthwhile, good couple of verses to commit to memory and just have them in your heart. Be able to call on them when you need them. Really good passage to memorize. So there's, there's four simple phrases there. We're just going to work through them. Four simple phrases around what does it mean to live wisely? What does it mean to follow the way of wisdom when we're at these turning points, these intersection points of life? There's a major life decision to make. First thing Solomon says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And that sounds like the kind of phrase that we can skip over because we've heard it all a hundred times. Trust in the Lord. We know that. We've been there. We've done that. But this is the foundation. This is the foundation of the whole thing. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. This is the foundation of Proverbs. This is the foundation of wisdom to trust because God is not as interested in the particular process that you use to make a decision as he is in the posture of your heart. So, so you might make a really good decision. You could make a really smart decision. You can research it. You can weigh it up. You can do your analysis. You can figure things out. You can talk to people. You can crunch the numbers. You can make this decision. And it could work out really, really well. And you could live happily ever after. And it still may not be a wise decision. Because wisdom is orientated toward God. Wisdom is based in the fear of the Lord. Wisdom is based in the trust of God. You can make good decisions, but they may not be wise decisions because wisdom, biblically speaking, is based on God. And what God cares about is not the particular 
process that you've got or the formula you've got for decision making. He wants to know where's your heart in this. You're standing at this crossroads in life or you can't quite see where you're going. You don't quite know how the situation's going to play out. You're not quite sure what to do next. What God wants to know is where is your heart? Have you got a heart that is turned toward him in this situation? Wanting to involve him. Wanting to bring him into the center of this. Or have you just got a, a heart that you're just doing your own thing, you're going to figure it out on your own, and really God is very secondary to what's going on. God wants to know, what is the posture of your heart? And the posture that he wants for your heart is a posture of deep trust. Deep trust in him. The word trust in Hebrew literally means to be stretched out. So it's, it's the picture of someone who's just lying face down on the ground. Completely helpless, completely vulnerable, unable to save themselves, unable to do anything, totally dependent on someone outside of themselves coming to help and coming to support and coming to rescue. That's a picture of trust. That's what it means for our heart to trust God. What that doesn't mean is that you do nothing. Please hear me on this. What I am not saying is don't do anything. I'm not saying you should just lie down on the ground face down and just wait for God to do something. Wait for God to deliver you. Wait for God to show up, give you some sort of sign. It doesn't work like that. What we're talking about is our heart. This is the posture of, of, of your heart. So outwardly, you may be making some plans and taking some steps. So outwardly, you are figuring things out and you're processing it and you're talking to people and you're starting to take some steps forward. But inwardly, your heart is face down. That's the point. Inwardly, God wants our hearts to be face down on the ground saying, God, I'm totally dependent on you here. I'm, I'm, I'm taking some steps. I'm putting some things in place, but I'm totally, totally dependent on you. My life is in your hands. My future is in your hands. My family is in your hands. My plans are in your hands. My hope is in you. My trust is in you. That's what God's looking for in these times. That we place ourselves fully. And outwardly, you could be doing all sorts of things, but inwardly, you are just face down on the ground, stretched out saying, God, I can't take another step without you. That's trust. One of my favorite writers is a guy called Henry Nowen. And shortly before he passed away in the 90s, he, he wrote some stuff and he was reflecting on a conversation that he had with some friends of his who were trapeze artists in a circus. And he was talking to them about the experience of being a trapeze artist. And they were describing what it's like not to be the, not to be the person catching, but to be the flyer, to be the person flying toward the catcher. So, you know, if you picture it, it starts with, with the flyer swinging on their own bar, high above the, the audience, at the top of the stadium. And then there comes that point where they've got to let go, got to let go of the bar. And then they're soaring through midair and they're on this trajectory towards the catcher and their job at that point is to arc their body and remain as still as they possibly can and wait for the catcher to catch them. And Henry Nowen writes this about that experience from these conversations. The flyer must never try to catch the catcher. He must wait in absolute trust. The catcher will catch him but he must wait. His job is not to flail about in anxiety. In fact, if he does, it could kill him. His job is to be still, to wait. And to wait is the hardest work of all. So if you imagine, I tried doing this, if you, if you actually close your eyes and imagine being that person, the flyer, 
and you're in the air and your body is arc, it just takes everything in you not to reach out and try and grab something. You know, it's just so counterintuitive that you would be able to be completely still. Everything in you wants to just flail about and just, re- and just try and grasp and reach and do something. That's the worst thing you can do. You've got to be still. And what God calls us to in those moments, those times, there could be long seasons in life where things are very uncertain and the way ahead is unclear. He says, inwardly, in your heart, in the depth of your soul, I want you to be still. I want you to be like the trapeze artist. I want you to take the posture of that person. And you be still and you wait. And you, you assume a position of absolute dependence. Absolute trust. That is not easy. But that's trust. That's what it is to trust in the Lord. Some of you are in that space right now. Some of you are in that space because you don't have a choice, because you just can't see. You can't see any option going forward. But even when there are three options on the table, God still calls you. Be like the trapeze artist. And you have enough confidence that the catcher will catch you. You've got to know deep in your soul the catcher is reliable. If you don't know that, then you've got to start there. Let's get to know the catcher a little bit more. He is absolutely faithful. He's absolutely dependable. But you've got to know in the depth of your being, the catcher will catch me. I can be still. I can trust. I can relax because the catcher has got me. He'll catch me and I can wait on him. Waiting on God doesn't mean doing nothing. It's not passivity, but it's a posture of our heart where we wait in eager expectation. For God to act. Even while we're taking steps forward in our lives. In our hearts, we're still, we're quiet, we're waiting on God. We're trusting. Trust in the Lord. And so then Solomon says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. If you think the trapeze artist thing's challenging, this is even harder. Lean not on your own understanding. What Solomon is saying here is that it's very likely in in that decision that you're facing, in the situation that's in front of you, it's very likely that the way you see it is not the way God sees it. So there's a good chance that's happening. There's a good chance that the way you're interpreting it and processing it and how you're summing it up is different to the way God is seeing it. And there can be times when you, you, know, when you see a path ahead and it just seems to make sense, but it's not what God wants. There can be times when there's, there's a road that just seems to be opening up and it may be logical and it may be rational and it may, the figures may work and it just seems to tick the boxes, but for whatever reason, it just may not be what God wants. And if we only lean on our own rational interpretation of the situation, if all we do is go through a process of checking facts and figures or lean on our own emotional response to the situation, if that's all we're doing, just going with our gut and following our heart and all those things which sound so spiritual but sometimes are quite self-centered, we may be missing what God is doing. We may be missing the direction God wants us to go. Imagine if everyone in the Bible leaned on their own understanding. Moses would never have been the deliverer of Israel. Uh, Gideon would never have been a judge. Jeremiah would never have been a prophet. Paul would never have been an apostle if these guys all leaned on their own understanding. So our job is not to lean on what we think is going on, but to try and gain God's understanding of the situation. We're only ever going to be able to do that imperfectly. You'll never fully see your situation from God's perspective. You're not God. But we can try and gain a little more of God's understanding of how things are going, God's perspective on how this is working, and not assume that the way that we're seeing, even if there's a road that seems so clear, Proverbs says there is a way that seems right to man, and its destination is death. There can be a way that just seems right, 
And yet in the end, it leads to destruction. You don't know. So what we can do is place ourselves in this, in this position of submitting to God and listening to God and see, seeking to get his perspective on the situation. This is why the next thing that, that Solomon says is in all your ways, submit to him. That's where this is coming out. Don't lean on your own understanding. What's the opposite of that? In all your ways, submit to him. Some of your translations say, in all your ways, acknowledge him. And, and the word literally means to be aware of him, to recognize him, to discern him, to listen. Eugene Peterson in the message translation says, learn to listen to God's voice in everything you do. Learn to listen. Learn to recognize. I think if we're honest, if we just have a moment here of, of brutal honesty, when you, when you think back on your life so far and you think about the big life decisions you've made, and you think about the turning points and you think about those moments when things weren't entirely clear, I think if we're honest, I know this is true for me, you look back and honestly, a lot of the time we make those decisions pretty much as functional atheists. We make those decisions a lot of the time as if God doesn't really exist. We look at the situation, we sum it up, we talk to whoever's involved, and we go for it. And somehow there's a balance here, because on the one extreme, we don't want to get wrapped up in anxiety about, does God have a specific plan, and I can't do anything until I hear it. But on the other hand, we can make decisions in such a selfish way, we completely leave God out of it. And God is saying, I want to be involved. I want to be part of your deliberations here. I want to be central to the way you are going about processing this decision and moving forward in this season of your life. So often we just don't. We just leave him out of it. Whether we assume he's not interested or we just don't think about it or we've just got an idea of how we want to go, we just don't tend to bring God in. But Scripture calls us, in all your ways, submit to him. Bring the decision. Bring the, the, the transitional point. Bring the situation. Bring it to God. Lay it down. Surrender it to him. Submit it to him. Involve God right in the middle of what is going on. Learn to listen to his voice. Now, how do you do that? How do you learn to listen and discern what God is doing and saying and speaking and how he might be prompting in the midst of these situations? A couple of key ways, I think. One is simply through prayer. There's no, you know, this is simple. Through prayer, talking to God about this, just honestly praying. I think if there's one thing that I could encourage you to do, if you only listen to one thing in this message, it is simply when you're facing these times, bring these things to God in prayer and pray about them. And lay them down and say, God, I, I, I submit this to you and I want your will to be done in this situation and I want to hand it over to you and I ask you to lead me and guide me. And don't just talk to him about it, but be willing to listen. Be willing to listen. One of the ways I've done this in my life is taking a big walk down Long Bay Beach and on the, on the one way down the beach, I talk and God listens. And then on the way back, I listen and God talks. Now, he doesn't, he doesn't talk audibly. I've, I've never heard an audible voice from God. But there's times he might just make a little impression on my heart. He just might clarify my thinking a little bit around a particular subject. And I'll say in those kinds of times, God, I just want to shut up. And if you want to speak, speak. Because it's an opportunity to, to, to open our heart up so that if God is wanting to guide, if God is wanting to lead, if there's something he's wanting to say, sometimes he just can't even get a word in edgewise. We're so busy, and then when we do pray, we just talk at him about the plans we've already got. 
But how about just being still, taking some time, being quiet, and just saying, God, if there's any way you want to just guide my heart in this. I, I'm, I'm, I'm heading down this road. This seems right. This seems like this door is opening. But God, I don't know. You might want this over here. And so, God, I just want to listen. I just want to acknowledge my understanding of the situation could be way off. I want to acknowledge there's a way that seems right to me, and yet it may not be what you want for me. So I want to stop and I want to listen. Now, I've never, I've never heard a strong, direct word from God speaking something in those moments. But what, I, what I've come to see is, I, I think what happens when you open your heart in those moments to God is that then God becomes more a part of your thinking and feeling about that situation going forward. What I have noticed is that when I open my heart in those moments, then from then on, I'm more aware of God as I'm walking through that situation and stepping through whatever circumstances it is. And then I'm just I'm more aware of well, how does this relate to where God is in my life and what might be pleasing to him here and, and what relates to how I'm loving him and how I'm loving other people. And I'm just more conscious of his presence somehow because I've taken that time. So don't expect that if you take these times to pray and to listen, God's necessarily going to speak in the moment. He may, he may not, but don't expect that. But do expect that if you open your heart up, he will be, you will become more aware of his presence as you journey on. It's like you need to give those times for, for, for God then to begin weaving himself into the situation, weaving himself into your thinking, weaving himself into your processing, weaving himself into your conversations. But it just starts with some times of being quiet and just listening. Because God's not going to force his way into your life. He's not going to force his way into your decision-making. Often it's the very small, quiet whisper of the Spirit that you've got to listen for. And the more closely we're walking with God, the better we are able to hear it. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. The ones who are following. If you're not walking with God and then you suddenly hit a big situation, you expect to get crystal clarity on exactly what's going on. Hear from God. Get a direct word. It doesn't happen like that. My sheep hear my voice. The ones who have learned spiritual discernment over the course of their lives, they become more attuned to the voice of God. They become more aware of His presence. So even if you're not at a crossroads in your life, start drawing nearer to God just through rhythms and habits of everyday life. And then when those points come, you will be better attuned to the voice of the Spirit because you're walking with God. You're becoming the sheep that can hear the voice of the shepherd. The other way to involve God in our decision-making and submit our decisions to Him is through Scripture. One of the main ways that God will influence us, lead us, guide us, is through His Word, is through Scripture. Uh, but we've got to be careful here. We've got to be really careful when it comes to Scripture because this can get wacky. This can get really weird really quick, and you can go to verses, and all of a sudden you're just taking some verse completely out of its context, slapping it onto your situation, uh, and it just could, you know, basically can mean whatever you want it to mean. And it can be really well-intentioned, but we can be pretty loose with our use of Scripture in these situations. The classic example, I think, is Jeremiah 29.11. You know that one? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. So you could come to that verse and you could say, man, God promises me. His plans are to prosper me, not to harm me. That means he's going to prosper my business. It means my business will thrive. My business will succeed. And so you start putting plans and putting things in place with that assumption in mind. It may not be what God is promising you in that situation. Or you look at that verse and it says God's going to give you a hope and a future. And so you say, well, God, I'm going to claim this promise. You said you're going to give me a hope and a future. So I believe you're going to heal me. 
going to claim this promise of physical healing because your word says, I'm going to give you a hope and a future. Do you remember, uh, I think it was seven years ago, the uh, Mangatapopo River tragedy, the canyoning tragedy? I think it was six students and a teacher who lost their lives uh, in the Mangatapopo Gorge. So they all came from Elam College, a Christian college in Auckland. Great, great school from what I hear. And the slogan or the, the, the motto of that school is a hope and a future. It's based on Jeremiah 29.11. And it just seems like such a sad irony, doesn't it? That the, the very school that's built on that verse plans to give you a hope and a future, plans to prosper you and not to harm suffers such an incredible loss. Does that mean they're wrong to take that scripture? Not at all. It probably means they're understanding it the way it should be understood not as a guarantee that you're going to live a life free of suffering, not as a guarantee that you're going to have a hassle-free life. That's never what that verse meant. It's never what that verse is promising. It's not, not a guarantee that you will just breeze through life or that, or that your business will succeed or that you will definitely be healed. Those promises are not there. I wish they were like you, but they're not there. That was a, this verse is written as a promise of Israel's return from exile, and it's ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is our hope and our future. You've got to bring Scripture to Jesus. This is what we try and do here week in and week out, is bring whatever text we're in to Jesus and say, what does this mean in view of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus? Jesus is our hope and our future. It's not, he doesn't promise you a stress-free life. He doesn't promise that you will not hit difficulty, sickness, hardship, and even death. He promises you that there's hope beyond all of those things because of his resurrection, hope of new creation, hope of eternal life, the certainty of being reconciled with God. That's the promise that no matter what happens in life, evil as it may be, awful as it may be, tragic as it may be, we are still secure. We still have a hope and a future an eternal future through Jesus Christ. Now you gain that promise. It's so much bigger. It's so much richer than your business succeeding or not. I know that if you're in that situation, that's, that's a brutal situation to be in, but the promise is much greater. The promise transcends that situation and goes to your eternal future. So I really do believe that Scripture can lead us. Please don't hear me saying that that, 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 that can't happen. It does. It can. There have been times I've been massively encouraged and impacted at specific moments by specific verses in scripture absolutely it can happen all i'm saying is respect the bible respect the context that it was written don't play fast and loose with scripture it was written to people in a time and a place and ultimately the whole thing is a witness to jesus so respect that and just practically if you feel that god is speaking to you through a particular scripture he may well be but i would encourage you to simply say uh, bring that to someone who knows the bible better than you bring that to someone who's maybe a little further down the road knows the bible a little better and just say hey i really feel like god might be leading me to this passage and speaking to me through this passage what do you think does this seem to square with your understanding of of scripture is this in keeping with the spirit of the text itself and, and what God is saying, and does this seem to apply? Just have someone else. And then, then, then it can be confirmation, or they may say, actually, it's kind of, it doesn't really square. You, you're kind of really ripping that way out of it. Kind, you're kind of, and, and so you want to hear that. You've got to know. You've got to know. Sometimes we can just filter these things through our own subjective experience, and we may be on a slightly different track. So bring it to someone who you trust. Talk to someone. God will speak through people around you as well. He'll confirm things through people around you in your life.
And so then finally, Solomon says, in all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. God will make our paths straight, and that doesn't mean, again, that he will prevent us from any suffering, difficulty, tragedy in life. It has the sense of God will direct your paths. As we trust in him, he will direct our paths. God has a beneficial will, which is broad. Love God, love others. Seek first his kingdom. That's God's beneficial will. But within that will, God will direct your paths. He will prompt. He will nudge. He will steer you. He will guide you. He will direct your paths. But the key is in understanding how that happens. And helpfully, there's an example in Scripture of where this phrase is used on one specific person whom God directed his paths. God made his paths straight. Just flick over for a moment to Isaiah chapter 45. Isaiah 45, 13 is talking about a guy in Scripture named Cyrus. Cyrus was not an Israelite. He was not a follower of Yahweh. He was, he was the king of Persia, which probably many followed other Persian gods. And yet, the same phrase, I will make all his ways straight, I will make his path straight, is used here about Cyrus in Isaiah 45, 13. It says, I will raise up Cyrus in my righteousness, and I will make all his ways straight. Now, how did that happen? Cyrus made a proclamation. He made a decree that the Israelites who had been in exile in what was, used to be Babylon could now go home. So he made, a, he made a proclamation. He made a policy that that could happen. But the way the scriptures describe that move on Cyrus' part is that the Lord turned his heart. Is that God moved Cyrus' heart. So what God was doing was moving the chess pieces around the board. God was directing Cyrus' steps. But what did Cyrus think was happening? He was being a good king. He was making a decision. He was being benevolent. He was instituting a certain foreign policy. That's what he thought he was doing. He didn't understand this broader level that was going on where God was the whole time. God was directing his paths. Now what that shows you is that there may be many times in your life when God is directing your paths and you're completely unaware of it. Totally, most of the time. God's at work, he's directing your paths, he's guiding your steps, but you can be completely unaware of it. See, we want God to tell us ahead of time what's going to happen. We want, we want to know, God, which, which path to take, which step, which, which option on the table, what do I do? But the way God seems to work is to reveal these things to us only in hindsight. So often we can look back and see God directing our steps in ways that are not always clear at the time. And I can testify to this in my own life. There's a, among pastors, there's, a, there's, there's talk sometimes about receiving a call into ministry. You might have heard this idea, that you receive a calling into the ministry. And it's supposed to be this time when God directly, clearly calls you to be a pastor or a minister or a vicar or whatever you're going to be. And you see, receive some confirmation of that. God guides you to a particular scripture or you get some kind of sign and there's this moment so you know and you can say, yes, I am called into ministry. And for, for many years, I struggled with that and wrestled with that because I have not been called. By that definition, I have not been called into ministry. I stand before you as a fraud. I've never been called, never been called to ministry. Now, I think I have been, but not by that definition. Not in, there, there is no moment in my life that I can look back and say there was a clear and unmistakable moment where God spoke to me audibly and said, thou shalt become a pastor. I don't know why God speaks in Shakespearean English anyway. It <laughs> seems to be what he does. But I, I, I haven't, Anna and I haven't had that. Uh, we, we made a series of decisions 
uh, in our life. Firstly, to come to shore, we fell in love with the church. And then a couple of years later, decision to come into, into ministry and become part of the staff team. There was an opportunity there. Then a decision to go to seminary and then to, to be able to come back into ministry here. At each of those junctures, the way was not entirely clear. And we didn't receive strong and direct guidance from God. I wish we'd, ha you know, I wish we'd had some kind of postcard from heaven that told us exactly what to do, but we didn't. But I can look back now and see, of course, God was guiding our paths. We didn't even really know it at the time, but he had his hand on it and he was guiding us all along. The reality is, if you're at a real crossroads in life, you may make this decision in a real fog. And you can, you can pray and you should pray. And, and, and we should search scripture. And we should talk to wise people around us. But that doesn't mean the fog will lift. It doesn't mean that you will gain crystal clarity on the way forward and suddenly it'll be like airport runway lights ahead of you. It doesn't mean that. You may still just have to make a decision. Carefully, prayerfully, with the guidance of others, doing your best to listen, doing your best to discern. But there comes a point where you've just got to decide and say, God, I'm stepping forward. I'm stepping forward in faith. God doesn't always lift the fog in the moment. Because if he did, what would be the need for trust? If he did, we're right back to the beginning of this passage, trust in the Lord. There'd be no need for that if God said, here you go, perfect sunlight, and the road ahead of you is totally clear. No, God says, I want you to become like the trapeze artist for a while. That's going to be difficult, but it'll grow your faith. And I'll direct your paths, and you'll look back in five years, and you'll look back in ten years, and you'll see it more clearly than you see it now. Sometimes, friends, we've just got to make the decision in the fog. I don't mean a hasty decision. I don't mean a rash decision. But we trust God. We go through these steps, posture of the heart, wisdom of others, scripture and prayer, and then we step out and we trust God to guide our steps. And so trust in the Lord. Think about your heart if you're in this space. What is the posture of your heart? Is your heart really in that place? Are you able to become like the trapeze artist? Are you able to become like the flyer? of saying, I'm not going to flail about an anxiety. I'm going to make this decision from a place of trust. If you can get your heart into that space, it will prevent you from making a decision from a place of anxiety and fear. And you'll make it from rest and be able to relax into the, the sovereign will of God. If you can lead your soul to that place of deep dependence on God, it prevents you from making decisions that are hasty and rash and impulsive. And it leads you to make decisions from a place of deep trust and deep dependence. And if you can lead your soul to that place of trust, it, it helps you to make decisions that are less self-orientated because you're so conscious and so aware of God. And you can know without a shadow of a doubt that the catcher will catch you. He's there. He's ready. And you're never going to fall beyond the grip of his grace. Doesn't mean it'll work out the way you want it to. Doesn't even mean things will necessarily be easier down the road. They may get harder, but the catcher is there. He'll catch you and he'll hold you right through the whole thing. Let's pray. Father, I want to pray for those people in this room right now who are in that place where the way ahead for them is not at all clear and they just can't quite see and maybe there's a big decision to make or there's a turning point or for some, God, they're just dealing with really difficult situations and they're just not quite sure what move to make next, what the next conversation 
should be. God, I want to pray that you would lead their hearts to a deep, deep place of trust in you. God, I, I want to pray, my own selfish nature wants to just pray that you'd make things perfectly clear for them and just make, make things abundantly evident of what you're doing in their lives. But God, I pray that you would build their faith through this time and you would lead them to a place of greater dependence on you. And I pray you would remind them, God, you are in control. You are guiding them. You are directing their paths, even if they can't feel that. I pray they'd be able to know it deeply in their soul this morning. You are guiding their steps. You are directing their paths. They will not fall beyond your grace. You hold their life in your hands. Give them that assurance. And God, pour out upon them the wisdom they need in this situation. Give us each, God, the wisdom that we need. Your word says, God, that if any of you lacks wisdom, let them ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. So God, we're crying out now for your wisdom, for the situations we're in, for our lives, for our futures, for our families, for our relationships and our finances and everything else. God, we're praying for your wisdom. Pray that, God, you would give us the wisdom we need when we need it to follow you, to know what is best, and to rest in the assurance that you are the catcher, that you love us that you are good and you are faithful. So lead us to rest, God. Help us just to relax in your goodness and in your kindness and guide our steps forward, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources or to donate to our teaching resource ministry or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.